welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. Should we go back to our conversation about plies? Yeah, let's just jump right in. In episode 76, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about plies in our yarn and how the number of plies in your yarn make it suited to different types of knitting. It might make it round. It might make it not round. (laughs) (laughs) Oblong. Twizzler shaped. (laughs) Right. So if you missed that conversation, you should definitely go back and give it a listen. During that episode of the podcast, we brought up S-twist and Z-twist and said, this is something we are talking about at a later date. Well, guess what, friends? That date is now. We are talking (laughs) about it today. So we're going to explore what these two different letter shaped twists mean in our yarn and how the directional twist of your yarn might have an effect on your knitting. Just to recap a little bit from the other episode, the twist in your yarn, the twist in a ply of yarn, infuses your yarn with energy. And it's that twist that gives your yarn strength and durability. So we talked about how single-ply yarns are not as durable and strong and hard-wearing as like a four-ply yarn where things are very tightly constructed. So we've got the energy in our yarn. But let's talk about the direction of those twists and how they get these letter names. Okay, so if you're holding the yarn in your hand and you twist it to the left, so you're twisting counterclockwise, what you're creating is an S-twist. And it's called an S-twist because of the angle of those leaning plies, like the tightness you can see those twists. It's a hard thing to verbalize. (laughs) So when you have that counterclockwise twist in your yarn... Try to visualize this. If you laid it down on a table on top of a letter S that you have written, the angle in the twist of that yarn is the same angle of the diagonal line, the center part of the letter S. So it leans to the left. So Z-twist is just the opposite. If you were holding it in your hand and you twist it to the right, so you're twisting it clockwise, You create a Z-twist, and the direction of the twist in that yarn is going to superimpose itself onto a Z that you've drawn on a piece of paper. Believe it or not, most yarns are constructed with the same directional twist. Yarns that are available to hand knitters are initially twisted in one direction and then plied in the other. So single-ply yarns tend to be created with a Z-twist. When you take two or more plies of yarn and you are twisting them together, you're plying them together, it's done with an S-twist. And what this change in direction does is create balance in the yarn. We talked about that a little bit in the ply episode, but balance in the yarn is important in creating a sturdier, bouncier, easier to work with yarn. So as a side note... The direction of the twist is constant throughout the yarn. So if you have a yarn that has an S-twist, which most of your yarn does, it doesn't matter which end of your skein you're knitting from. Like, grab an end of yarn, that yarn is S-twisted. So you can't flip it upside down and poof, now you have a Z-twist yarn. You're not changing direction. The twist is the same no matter which way you're going. Like if you are looking forward and counterclockwise is relative to you, and then if you turn around, counterclockwise is still the direction it is relative to you, 
even though you are looking in a different direction. Yeah. You may be wondering, why are we talking about this if most of our yarn is twisted in the same direction? We're hand knitters. We are concerned about our knitting and our final product. How does the directional twist of the yarn have any sort of impact on the things that we're making? It's a good question, because before we started kind of digging into S-twist and Z-twist, I'm not afraid to say, I didn't know. (laughs) This felt like the kind of thing that I was like, spinners know about this. In the same way that spinners know how long the staple of a particular fiber is, I kind of understand, but I don't understand. Yeah, like, why do we care? Right. (laughs) How is this relevant to anything that we do? (laughs) Well, guess what? It is. So from an uninitiated knitter's perspective, non-spinner's perspective, this feels a little bit like a solution in search of a problem. I've never thought about this. It's never made itself known to me. And so why, why are we worrying about this? Well, hold on to your stitch markers because I'm about to blow your mind. <laughs> so the way that we interact with our yarn will either tighten or loosen the twist in the actual strand of yarn. And this can impact your gauge. So what you're saying is you have to swatch. That's what you're saying. This just comes back to swatching. uh, Yes. It's my secret (laughs) agenda. Everything comes back to swatching. But this is something that I didn't know can be determined in your swatch. Sometimes people will come into the shop and they're like, I have swatched and I have swatched. And none of these needle sizes are getting me to the designer's gauge. Well, guess what? Here's another variable in your swatching adventurous life. Changing needle size might not get you to the right number, but there are some ways that you may be affecting the yarn that you could change, and that might get you to the right gauge. So more things to troubleshoot with, more ways to kind of experiment. So we are going to start by talking about winding yarn. Let's begin at the beginning. We can't knit the yarn until we've wound it into a ball, so. I'm glad we're talking about winding because that is the thing that you can externalize. There's kind of no muscle memory involved in winding. You can change the settings on a winder or something like that. It's very different to have to change something about your technique, so I'm glad that we're starting with winding. Yeah, let's start with winding. When you're winding your yarn into a center pull ball, whether you're using a cranked ball winder or you're winding by hand, like on your thumb, or a toilet paper roll, or a nostopinna, which I'm probably saying wrong, so you're out there giggling at me somewhere. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) You know what I mean. You will have some impact on the twist of the yarn. We know that if you wind really fast, you're creating more tension and a tighter center pull ball. That affects your yarn. But the direction that you wind your yarn in also has an impact on the twist because chances are this is S-twist yarn, highly likely that it's S-twist yarn. If you wind clockwise with your ball winder and you knit from the center of the cake, your twist and your stitches are going to be tighter. Okay, finish explaining and then I have like eight questions. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So clockwise winding, your stitches are going to be tighter because you're putting more twist into the yarn. If you wind counterclockwise and knit from the center of the cake, your twist and your stitches will be looser because you are pulling that yarn in the opposite direction. 
So you're loosening the twist in the yarn. The kind of most neutral way to use a center pull ball without significantly impacting the twist of your yarn is by working from the outside of the center pull ball, which feels like blasphemy to me. It goes against every knitter instinct I have because I really like knitting from the center of a center pull ball. Right. That's a at what cost? Right. Solution. Like <laughs> many questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shoot. First. So it is not the twist of the plies. It is the S twist of the plying together that we are counterbalancing with the direction that we're winding. Yes. You may have noticed at some point in your knitting life, and you probably weren't paying attention to the direction that the center pull ball was being wound, but you may have noticed that you had a ball of yarn that was center pull, and it was probably kind of splitty when you were working with it, and you were like, why is this happening? It's because chances are high. I'm not saying with absolute surety here because I didn't see that skein of yarn that you had, but chances are high that it was an S-twist yarn. It was wound counterclockwise, and the twist was loosened in the balling of the yarn, in the winding of the yarn. So when you worked with it, because the ply, the tightness, the energy imparted into that whole finished yarn was worked in the opposite direction in the winding, it opened up those individual plies, and it was more splitty as you knit it. I've definitely seen yarn that is already kind of splitty looking, even when it's still in the, it's a Mm -hmm. hank. We always call it a skein, but when it's in the sort of twisted loop put up that you see in a lot of yarn shops, technically that is a hank. But when it's still in the hank or in the skein, if you can see space between the plies, that's like a manufacturing technique. If it still looks like that after you put it into a cake to knit with, you didn't really do that. Yeah, and the tightness of ply and the splittiness of yarn can be impacted by fiber content too, like all sorts of variables. But something that also contributes to that can be change in tension when you wind it into a ball. Now, I'm thinking about a winder setup. So this is not necessarily winding it by hand, but we're winding it with a swift and ball winder. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what direction the swift is turning. That's not what we're talking about by clockwise, counterclockwise. No. It's the direction, the little spinny post part. Yeah, the cone on your ball winder. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you have an electric winder, A, you're probably either a knitting professional or a yarn shop owner because most people don't have them at home. But if you have an electric ball winder, it turns in the direction it turns. Like that's how the motor is set up and it spins the way it spins. But if you have a hand crank ball winder, you can choose to spin either clockwise or counterclockwise. Those gears will turn in either direction. It just depends on what direction you wind the little crank arm in. This makes me want to do some experimenting, and it will be tough with our current setup because we have a vertical swift. But to see if there's a difference between when the swift is feeding the yarn to the ball winder, whether it feeds it on, I'm going to say, the right side, on the facing you side and then feeds into the ball winder on the facing you side, like a purl stitch. Or whether if you set it up so that the swift is rotating clockwise and then the ball winder is winding counterclockwise, like just to see if that would make a difference. Definitely worth experimenting. And we have the electric winder and we have the Stanwood still, so we could hand crank in two directions too and take lots of pictures of the resulting twist of the yarn. Yeah. Science! (laughs) 
okay, so we have maybe reluctantly considered working from the outside of our center pole ball. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting gauge with your needle changes, but you're working from the center of that center pole ball, try pulling from the outside and see if that makes a difference, because it might. Let's move on to the next thing that the twist of the yarn can be dependent on with your gauge, your knitting technique. Depending on which hand you're holding your yarn in, the direction in which you wrap your stitches will be different, and you'll be making the twist of your yarn either tighter or looser. And I think that we know that just to pull two styles of knitting, we know that there are many styles of knitting, but to say English style knitting versus continental style knitting, there is pretty broadly accepted difference in gauge. You are impacting the twist in the yarn, the tightness of that, based on how you're wrapping your stitches. Yeah. And that's not something you need to change, but it's something that it's good to be aware of so that when you're struggling to get gauge or somehow miraculously always getting gauge, you know that these variables are contributing to that. So all of this might be difficult to visualize, like the actual difference in stitch sizes and what this means for you as a knitter. (laughs) And when I was reading about these things related to twist, I found a blog post written by Jillian Moreno in 2019 for Modern Daily Knitting. And she's really done the hard work for us here because she has swatched from center pole balls wound clockwise and counterclockwise and worked from the inside and the outside of the ball, all on the same needle sizes, picked a needle size, had the yarn, and she's worked a number of swatches, and they're all different sizes. Oh, wild. Like, it's shocking. There are small and medium and large size swatches depending on where she was knitting from. So I highly recommend going to check that out and look at those pictures and then think about maybe struggles you've had getting gauge when you were swatching, because this is another thing you can try to try and make your swatches do the work for you. I feel like this is maybe one of the answers to, I did the swatch and it lied, like it didn't do the thing I thought it was going to do. Oh, yeah, because I think not infrequently people will do things like swatch from the outside so that they'll have that yarn if they need it. Absolutely. Oh, knitting. You're so mysterious. (laughs) So this feels kind of complicating and complicated. And realistically, you could probably go back to not knowing any of this and it would be okay. True. Yes. But when you have more information, you can make more informed choices about stuff. And so it's always good to have more tools. Knowledge is power. Insert LeVar Burton telling us, (laughs) the more you know, it's Reading Rainbow, Matt. Oh, wait, LeVar Burton didn't do that. He did Reading Rainbow. (laughs) I just feel like he encourages me throughout my life to learn more things. So (laughs) (laughs) things to consider, knitter friends. So what's on your needles, Jessica? Hmm. I can tell you what's not. My tied knots hat because I finished it for the knit along. So that is all done. And I will probably share a picture of it somewhere at some point. But I have a new project, which is always exciting. I am knitting the Easy V sweater by Caitlin Hunter. And if you are one of our amazing, lovely Patreon people, you saw me trying to pick colors sometime last week. Surprise, surprise. I picked none of the colors I showed you. <laughs> she had a secret extra option. It was an agonizing choice, but I think I picked good ones. 
keep an eye out somewhere where we do visual things and I will post pictures of the progress. But I'm excited about this weird front and back V-neck neckline with a really big ribbed edge. I'm into this design choice, so I think it's going to be a fun project. What's on your needles, Karen? So my Oak Moss by Alicia Plummer was kind of humming along, and then I noticed a mistake in the cable panel that probably no one else would notice, but now I have seen it and I cannot unsee it. So just today, I dropped down to the beginning of the cable panel, and I'm now reconstructing it. So there's like this basket weave pattern in there. I had just like repeated two of the right-leaning basket bits. No one would have noticed. It was half an inch above the ribbing, but I didn't want it to be there like that. So it's an experiment. And it's actually working really well, the picking back up. Because I'm working with the Too Cool DK, which I love, but it's kind of grabby yarn. And I had to drop back something like 50 rows to do this. That's a not insignificant number of loose floppy strands of yarn, not least because they're also cables, right? So there's like even extra yarn kind of in there. And so Jessica had this really good idea that as I was dropping back, I started at the top and I used gourd pens to sort of cluster groups of, in this case, four because of what the cable chart looks like. And that's helping me keep all of my little strands. You know, I'm not grabbing the wrong one and like crossing, which is what I often do at least once when I'm trying to drop back like this. It's going okay. I'm having some kind of tension issues that if they don't work themselves out, I might just end up frogging the whole thing and starting over. But it's so much fun to knit. I really don't mind. So for reference for people who haven't seen this sweater, how wide would you say this cable panel is? Because it's not a single cable. No. The center of the cable panel is 25 stitches. Mm -hmm. And then there's this sort of twisted single cable on either side. And the twisted single cable is fine. So I left that alone. But so I dropped back the 25 stitch panel and got to the bottom and discovered I somehow had 26 stitches in my 25 stitch pattern. So something had happened that I was just like knit two together and move forward. And so I did that again. It's making me really glad that this is happening in the summer because we have good light to do it. Like it's definitely a lay it flat on a table kind of project. So it's going to work out. I admire this kind of dedication to problem solving and knitting because you could just frog it. But if that's something that you're open to anyways, then why not try to fix it and like see what you can do? I am not sure because I got to the end of my first section, like my first repeat, and all of the rows had kind of extra yarn. Hmm. And so I'm going to try a couple different things. Blocking will help, but also it wasn't like that initially, so I'm not really sure. I'm going to keep experimenting with this. Oh boy, (laughs) it's exciting. (laughs) So now y'all know that I have finished my Make Good Cable project, and Karen is doing some deconstruction, reconstruction work on hers, but the knit-along is still happening. We are excited to see all the things that y'all are working on. There are some more exciting sweaters with intense cabling happening and lots of smaller projects too. So we're going to chug along with this knit along for a couple more weeks and then button things up. So by next week, there will be final details about when the cable knit along will wrap up. But for the time being, keep posting and use the hashtag MakeGoodCables to let us see your projects. And there are a number of you who are not on Instagram or you have a private Instagram account, which is totally fine, but you've just been sending us pictures so that we can see them. And that's fantastic. And we love seeing that. So keep doing it. I'd like to see some pictures of some cable reconstruction activities also. So if anybody's had to do some dropping down and reconstructing, take a picture and post it. I'll support you.
Are you ready for a letter? I sure am. So our letter this week comes from Leia. Hey, Leia. What knitting podcasts do you listen to? Are there similar ones out there in podcast land? Oh, good question. (laughs) My answer might surprise you. (laughs) So I'm going to confess that I actually don't listen to knitting podcasts. I feel like I spend my working days knitting and talking to knitters about knitting and my podcast creation time talking about knitting and also a significant part of my leisure time actually knitting. So (laughs) I don't always want to think about it, and I listen to other things. So no knitting podcasts here. But I can tell you a couple of the podcasts I do enjoy listening to if you're open to hearing non-knitting-related content. (laughs) I say yes. I'm going to do it anyways. I really like Love to Sew. In addition to knitting, I also love to sew. So the Love to Sew podcast is great. And we're going to link to these podcasts in our show notes, so if they happen to be areas of interest, you can check them out. But I'd say Love to Sew is very similar to our podcast, where they talk about a lot of like techniques and things you didn't know about sewing, and periodically they interview people who are sewists. It's pretty fun. They're entertaining. But mostly, I like to listen to things that entertain me and pique my interest. Currently, I'm listening to Sounds Like a Cult because I recently read the book Cultish by Amanda Montel. So this is the podcast that came out of her book writing about cultish type things. So some of them are like cults, like you think of them, and some of them are cultish, culty things like how people really love Trader Joe's. Theater kid culture. Yeah, things that are, you know, kind of culty and intense, but not, not dangerous. So that's fun to listen to. And I also like scary things, like spooky, supernatural things. I am a big fan of the Spooked podcast from Glenn Washington. And it's ghost stories, basically. Not kid ghost stories, grown-up ghost stories. They're pretty spooky and fun and are a great way to be a little bit scared while you're knitting. (laughs) For when your knitting's not scary on its own. You need the adrenaline to keep you going. Yes. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Gotta keep me sharp somehow. (laughs) What do you listen to, Karen? So I also don't listen to any knitting podcasts. It's nice to listen to something else once in a while. Yeah, it's knitting all the time over here. I think the podcast I've listened to the longest is called I Don't Even Own a Television. It's been going for years and it's gotten a little less frequent recently. But it's a podcast where they read bad books and then talk about them, which is my speed 100%. It's like book club, but you don't have to do the reading? Right. Yep. Awesome. (laughs) And you don't have to pretend you liked the book, which is really the key. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's also kind of a related podcast that I listen to called Worst Best Sellers. If that's your speed, the two women on Worst Best Sellers are absolutely fantastic. There's also a podcast called Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet that is like a brother and sister pair who read one-star reviews on a theme. Amazing. So I had actually found them because I was looking for a podcast about New Hampshire history and I was searching for like New Hampshire podcasts and they had an episode that was themed on New Hampshire apple orchards. And I was like, absolutely. I want to listen to somebody read people's one star reviews of 
apple orchards near where I live, and it was very funny and I liked it a lot. The Opportunist, which is a podcast about people who do like wildly unethical things kind of just because the opportunity presented itself. And then I just think about this podcast all of the time. It was from 2018 and it was called Wild Thing. And they actually did another season, which I have not listened to because I don't want anything to taint my experience of this first season. It's about a woman who, after her father passes away, she finds out that he was one of the world's most preeminent Bigfoot scholars. And she's like, I'm going in. And the podcast is her learning about Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Hunter culture. And like, it's fascinating. (laughs) It's so good. And it's just like six episodes or something, but I really liked it. So I still think about it a lot. Six episodes feels like an excellent amount of knitting listening. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Well, I love getting podcast recommendations. So if you all have things you like to listen to while you're knitting, whether it's a knitting podcast, who knows, maybe I will try one at some point, or other fun things, let us know because we'd like to know what you're listening to, too. I think that might be it for us this week. I think it is. You can listen to us anywhere you get your audio podcasts, maybe including where you're listening to us right now. Rate and review us. It will help other knitters find us. And tell your friends that you like to listen to Make Good because they might like to listen too. You can follow us on Instagram at Make Good Pod. Big huge thank you to our Patreon supporters. You're amazing and incredible and you help us do this every single week without ever taking on advertisers. You can go to our website, makegoodpod.com, and check out the show notes there. You can also send us a message using the contact page or emailing us at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. And please include your pronouns. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.